morning, everybody. I invite you to take your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to be looking at verses 5 through 13. If you're using a Bible there in front of you, it would probably be page 916. Marin and I were down in Orlando this week. We were at a conference of ABWE, which is a mission I serve on the board of. We have 1,200 missionaries in 70 countries, and this gathering was the gathering of the leaders who are the director over all of the countries. Some of them have multiple countries, some of them have just a couple, but there were about uh, 60 people there, um, and just a just an incredible time. One of the things that we did, Marion was asked to speak as, as well as I was, and one of the things that she shared on, she, we brought copies of the Common Life book that uh, Mike was talking about earlier in Romans 8, because her talk was on the subject of praying Scripture, um, which is a topic that Marion does a lot of. She has some groups that she is participating in here and she was teaching on how to pray through a passage of Scripture and really pray back what God had spoken into us. And we used the Common Life book because the Common Life book this time, in Romans 8, I think it's on verse 26 and 27, that particular week, um, the entire week is on the subject of praying Scripture. And we're encouraging you to try that, do that if you haven't done that before. There's some directions in the Common Life book, so just another... Uh, incentive for you to get the Common Life book if you have not yet got it for this series, the book of Romans. It was cool to hear people's response to the Common Life book. Um, some of them didn't get, and I heard one, one lady was talking to me, she said, oh, I love this book that your, your wife gave us. She says, I can't wait. I'm going to get it online, and I'm going to send it to all my friends. And I said, well, I got bad news. <laughs> We're not, it's not quite that widespread uh, at this point, but uh, we are excited about the Common Life book and hope, hope you'll use it if you haven't used it before and follow along in our series through the book of, Roman, uh, book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 13. I'm going to read the verses in a moment. Ultimately, there are only two types of people in the world, those that have been born once and those that have been born twice. From God's perspective, these are the, are the two most important designations. We have all been born once, born with a human nature that is impacted by sin. The Bible calls that human nature impacted by sin the flesh. Uh, the NIV translates the word the flesh by sinful nature, but it actually is the word flesh. It's our natural way, our default way of and mode of doing life. The second birth, being born a second time, means that we have been transformed within by the Holy Spirit entering our lives. That God the Holy Spirit actually comes to live with us and in us. And salvation, which is that experience of the second birth, is ultimately a supernatural addition to your spiritual essence, but it is not an eradication of the old. Here's what I mean. We have this fleshly flesh, this sinful nature, this nature, our human nature, influenced by sin. It is that, that orientation that causes us to live the self-life, do life ourselves, do life autonomous from God. 
And that is not eradicated when you receive Christ as Savior. You are given the addition of the Holy Spirit. But the flesh is still alive and well. It is still fighting for precedence. It is still there, and it is very real. It is very powerful. It is very much alive. And in this passage, Paul is going to argue for the fact that as a Christian, you can choose and live one way of life or another. You can live according to the flesh. We all do to some degree. You can also live according to the Spirit. This is the addition. This is the gifting of the individual that has had the second birth. But it's very important to recognize, and I think that's why Paul gives us Romans 7, that it's very easy to continue your life in Romans 7 as if the, as this, the flesh is still the dominating reality in our lives. That's the passage where he talks about what I don't want to do, I do. What I do want to do, I don't do. I'm struggling because he did not have the capacity in himself, nor do we, to overcome the flesh life. And the flesh still craves, fights, demands precedent in our lives, encourages us to lean into it, and all of us do to some degree. All of us have that tainting in our humanness because of sin. All of us have that, that, that corrupting influence that's there, and that can be the dominant one in our lives. When we were down in Florida, one of the conversations we had, uh, we had a lot of awesome conversations. One of my favorite conversations was with a couple that we really enjoyed and, and had a lot of fun. We stayed in the same unit with, there were five of us that were divided in, in the unit, and we did life together in a common area for our meals. And one of the couples that was there, we got to know, had a lot of fun with, and it was fascinating to find out that her husband told us, and he said, I wasn't allowed to say this for years, but he says, now her father has long since been out of circulation and nobody's trying to get the family um, because uh, as a way of getting back at him. But her father is one of the most prominent mafia leaders and has been incarcerated a number of times. And he said, you know how they do those FBI most wanted videos or FBI most wanted shows? He says, her dad is the only one that's had multi a whole series put on. I mean, it was so there we are sitting. You learn stories of people. So maybe you have that story. If you do, I would love to hear that part of your story and be nicer to you. Um, but, but in another conversation, we were with a couple of, and there was a lady there, and we were talking about um, the issue of, of welcoming people into our, our communities, our faith community, who have a different um, sexual perspective and practice and orientation. And she was talking about, and again, this whole idea that, that we need to see our commonness as fallen beings and our commonness as people that have this flesh that we can lean into and, and often do lean into. But she, was, she said we were at a church discussion at our church, and we were talking about how do we welcome people, and this guy was there, and she said he's... he's He's a good guy, but she said, he said, we can't welcome these people into our church. They will pollute our church. And she said, she said, I, I instantaneously said, I'm sorry. I want to get her quote exactly. I'm sorry, but all of us in this room have already polluted our church. We are polluted. 
All of us have been impacted, and, and this is the common ground we, spe- we, we all experience in our humanness. We are all broken people. We, what has been changed, if you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, is you have an additive, if you will. You have the addition of the Spirit of God. You can still choose to live dominated, leaning into the, into the flesh, or you can live dominated and being led by the Spirit. And Paul, in this passage in Romans 8 through verses 5 through 13, is talking about those two options. Which life are you going to lean into? Which life are you going to live as a Christian? Here's what he says, verse 5 and following. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you... Then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Lord, we look to you this morning in these moments together. God, thank you for the presence of the God, the Spirit, uh, to live in us, to live with us. Thank you that we can lean into him and, and have our lives live differently. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things we're going to look at, two big thoughts First of all, what the two ways of life have in common. Living in the spirit, living in the flesh, there is a couple of things that are very similar. Verse 5 says it this way, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Literally, those who live according to the flesh, it says, are minding the flesh. So what does it mean to be minding the flesh? What does it mean to be minding the flesh or minding the spirit? Well, if you're a teacher, and we have a lot of teachers here, and, and, and you leave the class, and this was more commonly said in days past, but if you would learn, turn to your TA, your teaching assistant, and said, I, I, want, I want you to mind the class while I'm gone. You be minding the class while I'm gone. What they're actually saying is this. I want you to be here to keep things running, to oversee it, to pay attention to who's doing what. Somebody needs to be focusing on this class, and that somebody is you. The idea is that, that minding the class, minding the flesh, minding the spirit is focusing on it. That that is the orientation of life that we have. That that's where our attention preeminently goes. And what you focus on or focus your mind on impacts your actions. And this is true of both. Minding the flesh, minding the spirit. What you focus your mind on impacts your actions. Jesus gives a perfect example of this in the Gospels. In the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has just been doing all kinds of miracles. The crowds are coming. I mean, it is a, a 
a totally explosive, energizing environment. And Peter and the boys are feeling all of that. And Jesus now has just said to them, who do people say that I am? And some say John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, come to life, and all this. And he says, who do you guys think I am? And Peter blurts out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood has now revealed this to you. Blessed are you. My father's revealed this. He gives this wonderful commendation. And he says, on this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And he gives all this beautiful commendation to Peter. And then Jesus continues his teaching. Here's what he says in Matthew 8, verse 31 and following. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Your mind's in the wrong place, Peter. Here's what was going on. I think Peter and and the guys are looking at this and they're thinking, this is finally happening. Everything's coming together. This is, the the crowds are coming. They're going to take Jesus. They're going to make him king. We're going to vanquish Rome, what we've lived our lives for. And the cool part is we who have given up our whole fishing business and our secular enterprises to to follow Jesus, we are going to be shown to, we've made the right choice. This, this is win. We're going to win. We're, and Jesus is going to win. Jesus, of course, is going to be the biggest winner, but, but we're going to be involved. We're going to be on the right team. And now Jesus is saying, okay, here's the next step. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to die. And Peter goes, what? Where? What? Ah, Jesus So it says he pulls him aside and he corrects him. He rebukes him. He actually says, Jesus, you were doing so well. I mean, everything was going the right direction. And and, and he, you know, you can sort of see him say, Jesus, you know, I don't think you meant rejected or dead. I don't think this is what we want to be talking about here. We are about to accomplish all of our goals. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you have in mind not the things of God, the things of man. Now, who's the man? It's him. But he's not only looking at Peter. It says he looked at the disciples and he rebuked Peter. He knows Peter's the spokesman for them. And he says, you guys are looking at this as a way for you to get your win, for you to be on the winning squad. And you say, Mark, how do you know that? Because of what he says next. He says this in the very next verse. He says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. He says, You're minding the things of self. You're minding the things that you think are valuable. But he says, you're not minding my values. You're not willing to embrace the fact that following me means dying 
to yourself, not exalting yourself, not satisfying yourself. To mind the flesh is to not mind God. It is to mind the other voices, the voices that they were living out of at that moment, and they were motivated by the fact that they were about to win that they were about to be on the winning squad. They were going to be a part of the, the enterprise that would change the world. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm asking of you. I'm asking that you die to your own aspirations, that you yield to me, that you make my glory your glory. But their thinking affected their actions. On a positive note, there's a guy in the Old Testament named Rehoboam. This was a godly king. who was a king of Judah, and Rehoboam was a man who really loved God, really leaned into God, and sought God as Lord of his life. And he did something no Old Testament king, not even David, was ever identified as doing. He sent groups of, of teaching priests out to all the villages and towns of Judah just to help them understand the, the scriptures and, and, and to be mentored in their spiritual lives. He was a godly king and a godly leader. And one day in Jerusalem... They awoke to find that the city was surrounded by approaching by enemies that had come. The first group of them were starting to approach the city, a far greater army than they had. And Jeroboam, who is he? What's his name? Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat did an interesting thing. He didn't call his military generals together and say, "Guys, we need an immediate strategy session. We need an escape plan. We need we need how are we going to deal with this? We're way outnumbered." The first thing Jehoshaphat did was call all the people together. He got them in a square of Jerusalem, and he stood before them, and he started doing this loud corporate prayer. And here's what he said. Here's his prayer, word for word. Oh, God, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. Now, I don't know about you. Those are not the first words I want out of the mouth of my leader. Oh, God, we don't know what to do. Jehoshaphat was surrounded by enemies. But to him, his mind was so filled with the presence of God and the reality of God, he was so spirit-minded, if you will, that it affected his actions. When crisis came, when the negative voice comes, when when. when when the, the, the medical report comes for you, when the review comes at work, when, when, when the loss of relationship unexpectedly crushes your boat, where does your mind go? Do you naturally go to God? God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are still on you. Or does it flip towards flesh? Oh, my life's devastated. I got no hope. Oh, I got to do this. I got to work this out. I got to take control. Being spirit-minded as a, a habitual way of doing life impacts our actions. It impacts the way we respond to circumstances, as does being regularly fleshly-minded. It will affect the way we respond. The second thing we find is what you focus your mind on will feed your desires. Where you put your attention will feed the desires that you have. Philippians 3 says it this way, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is in their shame, and with their minds, their minds are set on earthly things. Here, the, the fact that their minds are, are, are focusing on earthly things, horizontal level things, 
It says that also results in, in their appetites control them. They're glorying not in the glory of God, but things that should be to their shame. If the voices you're listening to all the time are horizontal voices, not the voice from above, it will heighten the desires for, for appetites that become more powerful than your desire for God and his purposes for you. You will find there are lots of voices that you will hear every day. You'll hear them through advertising. You'll hear them through TV. You'll hear them on the internet. You'll hear them just in conversations with others. You'll hear them just comparing yourself as you drive down the road with other people's cars. And you're hearing, a vo- and you're hearing the voices, these voices that Philippians says are when you're minding earthly things, they will create a sense of dissatisfaction and discontentment. They'll, cre- they'll create a desire that, well, I need to have more of that, or I need to have that. I mean, the social media does this all the time to us, right? I mean, you're on social media, and, and you're, you're looking at all these beautiful pictures of all of these families, and, and you're just thinking, my family never does fun things. My husband doesn't do that for me. We could never afford to go on a vacation like that. Man, you see your friends and these creative, clever things they've done or they've written, and, and, and you read about it, and, and you look at the pictures, and you, or, you see, or you see the Instagram, and, and, and you, you see all these videos coming in, and you say, I'm not creative. I'm not clever. I'm a less than. And this, the voice that you hear is, I need, to, I need to be more. I need to have more. I need to accomplish more. And so you begin to crave other things to, to fill the void. On the other hand, when the primary voice in your life is the voice of the Spirit, it also impacts your desires and, and, and the, 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 the magnitude of those desires. For instance, Paul starts this chapter with this statement. You are not on the line. You're not condemned, he says. You've been accepted in Jesus. The one who knows you most, the one who knows you best, says you don't have anything to prove. you got, you got nothing that you have to, to prove to anybody. The more you live imbibing the reality of what it means to be accepted in Christ, what that means, the less you're going to be overwhelmed by social media or comparative of other things. The desires are diminished. The desires are, are held in check. Our desires are deeply impacted by what we are minding. Flesh, earthly things, spirit, things coming from above. What you feed will control what desires dominate. What fruit is in your life? I w- once heard the story of a Native American who had come to Christ and he was talking with some people and giving a little talk about how uh, with having Christ in his life, he found that it, 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 there was a battle. There was this flesh orientation that battled for his attention, and there was the spirit. And, and he used the analogy of they're like, they're like two dogs. They're fighting together and, and, and trying to have supremacy over the one over the other. And somebody asked him a question, which, which one wins? And he says, whichever one I feed the most. If you're feeding your mind, if your mind is focused on earthly things, that is is going to make a fleshly-oriented lifestyle. You'll find yourself 
craving more, needing to prove yourself more. If, on the other hand, the voice of the Spirit of saying, this, you are accepted in Christ, you're not on the line. Jesus is for you, as all the things of Romans 8 are going to talk about. If the love of God for you is consuming your reality, it has practical ramifications every single day in the way we live. It's what we're minding. It's what we're feeding our minds with, which voices are dominating. Both voices, we're told, both ways of life have some things very much in common. But there are also some very distinct differences. I'm just going to touch on these. How the two ways of life different. Minding the flesh, we're told in verse 7, is this. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. That's a general statement for those that have not embraced Christ but he says anyone who's leaning into the flesh is going to find that they're, they're living a life that is somewhat hostile to God. That, that there, there's a sense of disconnect and disjunct in relationship. In Luke 19, Jesus is talking about a parable, and, he, and he's talking about himself, and he's using the parable of himself as a king. And, and the guy in this area has been crowned, is about to be crowned king. He's been appointed king. And now he's going to get his crown and his signet ring on a, at a distant land and come back. And the picture is of Jesus coming in his first coming, and then he's going, and he's going to come back again. And he says when he's gone, and this is what the analogy of the parable is, the people say, wait a minute, we don't want this guy. And this statement is made, we will not have this guy king over us. And the idea is this is, this is a fleshly response. I had a daughter that beautifully illustrated this. Years ago, my oldest daughter, when she was little, and I wrote it down, it just, as the statement struck me so powerfully, it was Laura, and Laura was, uh, had been disobedient, had been nasty to her brother, and Marian asked her, do you think that's how God would want you to respond to your brother? Laura was quiet for a moment, and then she responded, why is there a God? Why can't there just be us? That was not the Spirit speaking through Laura at that moment. <laughs> but we get it. We feel that way. I have, God, I, I have these desires. I mean, why do you have such opinions about everything? I have these desires. I need this relationship. I need this thing in my life. I, I, I deserve a break today. The flesh says... I don't want somebody lord over me. I don't want somebody saying restraint. The flesh is hostile to God. The flesh, it says in verse 7, does not submit to the law of God, nor can it do so. The flesh life, which can be allowed and often does dominate in our lives, is contrary to God. And it can be manifested. We can be saying, I don't want God in my finances. I mean, business is business. There's Christian and church, and then there's the way I do business. And never the two shall meet. And God says, no, 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 no. It's all. It's all. If you want to walk in the Spirit, if you, if you want to have your, your mind focused on the Spirit, you're going to find that, that I have voice in the way you treat others. 
in the way you do business, in the way you handle your finances, in the things you choose for your entertainment. Robert Munger wrote a, a little booklet years ago. I've given a million of these out. I always have in my office called My Heart Christ Home. It's an allegory, and it, it's written basically of a guy, and the allegory is he is talking about inviting Christ into his house as if, and, and the picture is of what it means when we invite him into our, the home, our heart's home. And in the house, he has various rooms. You know, he's got the, the, the room, the den. It's got a, a pool table. It's got a TV. And, and, and he finds out that, you know, if he's going to entertain Jesus in the entertainment room, that it starts to affect some of the choices he has and what he does there. In other, he has another room that's the, the library where he and Jesus agree that they'll meet together every morning. And, and he's been doing life real fast, and one morning he goes hustling out to work again early in the morning while it's still dark, and he's moved, and he looks, and he's shocked to realize Jesus is there. Every morning, Jesus shows up for the appointment that he never keeps, and he just goes through all, and he says that each part of his life, but the most powerful part of the book is one day Jesus says to him, there's an odd smell in the house, and it's coming from upstairs, and the guy's mad. He says, oh, man. I know exactly what the problem is. And he doesn't say this, but he's internalized. I, I know what the problem is. He says, he said, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about my little closet, my, my secret place, where I have dust for me. And, and Robert Munger carefully doesn't ever tell you what's in the room. It's just something that smells, and it's something that Jesus needs to get rid of for this guy's sake, and this guy doesn't want to give it up. And the picture is, and Jesus says, I, I, I love you, and I am for you, but I can't really do life with you with that smell in here dominating the, the entire environment. And finally, he just says, fine, here's the key. And he turns the key over to Jesus, and Jesus goes up and cleans out the room. And, and, and the, the visual is that if we really want to do life with God, we can't have those rooms. Many of us have them. Many of us have them and take them back and give them over again. But I read a book recently by John Owen, a classic book. It's called Thinking Spiritually. The entire book is on Romans 8, 6, the mind of the spirit or minding the spirit. And in the book, and he wrote in the 1600s, he says this. He talked about the danger of overlooking one area of sin in our lives as if it, it doesn't matter. Here's what he says. They deceive themselves that they are only under the influence of one decoy, of one decay, for instance, lust, envy, bitterness, gossip, worry, laziness, greed. But one sin willingly enjoyed will destroy the soul as much as a thousand. He's saying it, it matters. It does matter. And many of us have that closet that nobody else knows. Maybe God brought you here today for God to say, it's time. It's time for the closet. It's time for you to, to acknowledge this issue in your life to me. Maybe it's time for you to acknowledge this issue in your life to close brother or sister and bring them in. Say, would you help me to not allow this in my life that is a room that is that is, that is influencing my capacity to really walk in the Spirit. 
it affects, minding the flesh affects our relationship with God. It also affects ourselves. He says the mind of the flesh is death. I think he uses the word death here in the same way the book of Proverbs does when it talks about the way of death. It doesn't mean that you're going down the way of death and dying physically. It's talking about this way is is deadly. It's just death. It's darkness, shadow, futility, an unsatisfied existence. The results, as Paul talks about it, of living out the flesh in Romans chapter 3 of this, the way of peace they have not known. In Isaiah 57, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. It goes on to say where it's tossing up dirt and mire. It's just this churning sea. And he says, you can choose to live according to the flesh. You can choose to have your mind dominated by the voices around you and and always trying to find another way to find fulfillment, uh, always trying to find satisfaction or comfort in something. But he said, at the core level of your life, you will not be at rest. It's a, it's, it'll become a, a small G God, but it won't do what God can do when he is at the center of your life. And so he says this not only affects your relationship to God to walk in the flesh, it affects yourself, the satisfaction of life. Then he gives the contrast of minding the spirit. And he says here in verses 9, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. And he talks about this is a life of life and peace. That this is a life that is one where there is a totally different perspective. That the engine of our human machine is designed to run on the Spirit as the fuel, as our life source. As St. Augustine said it in the 4th century, Oh God, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You're where the rest is. You're where the satisfaction is. When I'm centering my life in you and the Spirit is at the control center, there's a restfulness that is not found anywhere else. He concludes in verse 12 and 13, you don't owe the flesh anything. You can choose to lean into it. You can choose to take its lies and let them dominate your life. But he says in verse 12, brothers, we're not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you'll you'll die. You'll, You'll live with this death sense of life, this deadly life. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I'd like to close this morning very simply with four quick things about cultivating a lifestyle of being spirit minded. Because Paul's whole premise in this passage is this. Our minds influence how we live. Our minds influence the desires that captivate our lives. And so if our mind is on the flesh, we will live one way. If our mind is influenced and and captivated by the Spirit, we will live a different way. So how do we cultivate a lifestyle of being Spirit-minded? Four very quick things. Number one, we must recognize the importance of habit. You say, habit, I don't, I don't know about that word. I, that sounds like performance. That sounds like legalism. That sounds about like getting it right. I mean, that, I, I get that. I understand that. However, I would ask this question. Um, are you legalistic about your toothbrushing? 
say, well, no, that's different. I just, why do you brush every day? Well, it just, it's become a habit, and I know it's helping me to have bad breath, to take away tooth decay, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I, well, there's nothing godless and legalistic about building in godly habits if we're doing it to check them off that, oh, now I did my spiritual, you know, I get my spiritual brownie points, that's legalistic. But if you're just building in and saying, you know what, I'm going to bed earlier so I can get up and, and be fresh to be able to spend time with God, that isn't legalistic. It's, saying, I enjoy, it's like saying to my wife, babe, I'm going to come home early because I want to be with you. And so I've, I've cleared my schedule to, to do that. And that's not legalistic, that's love. If we build in habits that build our souls with the purpose being to get to know the Lord better, to walk with His Spirit more, I think that's what godliness looks like. Secondly, we must recognize the importance of choice. You must choose to have your mind controlled by the Spirit. It says in Galatians 5 that walking in the Spirit means that our goal is to keep in step with the Spirit. That we follow, He leads. That ultimately, no matter how phenomenal a leader you are, and no matter how oriented your personality is to initiate, if you're a Christian, you are ultimately in the response mode. Ultimately, you are called to respond to the Spirit. Now, he'll use your gift of leadership as a man or a woman, as a young person. He'll use your, your influence to lead others. But ultimately, you're never the ultimate initiator. If you're a Christian, you are called to be ultimately the responder to the Spirit that he leads. Sometimes, in walking with the Spirit, responding to him takes you places you, you didn't see coming. And changes things you wouldn't have known you needed to change. We have a guy on our staff that is former football player, um, uh, loves football, loves Eagles. He grew up Philadelphia area, and a couple of years, a handful of years ago, he was convicted that he couldn't watch the games without getting mad and and stirred up, and it it actually ate his lunch. And the Lord came to him and said. I don't think this is healthy for you. Now, he loves, and if you heard me say anything bad about football, you don't know me at all. But I am saying that for him, walking with the Spirit, he had to choose to not watch the games. And one of my saddest moments, because he's a very close friend, we've done life together many, many years, was to know that he wasn't watching the Super Bowl when I watched it last year. But I'll say to you, what I know he would say to you. There are some times when God will come to you, and he will come to you if you know him, and he will say to you, others may, you can't. I'm not saying this is evil, but I'm saying for you, this is not something, that, at least for now, he may change that. The question is, are we willing to say, because those are hard, to say, well, how come she, and how come he, and, and how come I'm asked for this, but, but they're not asked? Well, because you're following the Spirit. He's a person. He's real. He's 
personal, and he speaks personally. And so he leads us places maybe we wouldn't expect. And sometimes he asks us to embrace things in our lives. Sometimes he asks us to remove things, at least for a season, from our lives. Because he wants to say, I, I, I really do want to be first. There are choices. There's an importance of choices. And third, there's importance of community. That we are, we are brought into a relationship in this Christian thing. You know, you're, you entered a relationship the moment you received Jesus Christ that was a community. Romans 8 is constantly talking about the three members of the triunity of God. God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father, that they have done life together in, in what many theologians call the dance of God throughout all eternity. You've been invited to join the dance. You've been brought into relationship with not one, but three persons of the one essence of the Godhead. But you are, which argues that just like God is, you are a communal being. You don't do Christianity as a solo flight. You need other people to do life with you. You need other people to speak into you. Hebrews 3.13 says it this way, but exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need voices. Hebrews 10, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works by not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but rather be encouraging one another. And you need other guys. You need other girls. You need other people that are doing life with you, that are, that are helping you, that are speaking into you enough that they can even say, this, this secret closet We'll help you. We'll be with you. We'll stand with you. We'll pray with you. We'll ask you. And fourth, the importance of selective listening. Man, there are so many voices we can hear today. Social media, all of the media, there's so many voices. It's so loud. It's it's impossible to, to not hear the voices around us. So what do we must build in time? For the quiet, to hear the voice that is most important. It is so easy to be distracted by too many voices. In the movie, The Last Samurai, Captain Algren, who's played by Tom Cruise, goes over to Japan, and, and he's there, and is, uh, he's actually on the wrong side, at least from the movie's perspective, and he's fighting against the samurai, he gets captured, and he's brought into there, and he's a great soldier and fighter. And so they, they embrace him, he becomes a great friend of the leader. And they're starting to train him on how to fight their way with their big, long samurai swords and their big, long sticks. And he's, practicing, he's just getting beat to a pulp, just a pulp. And, and they're all delighting in it. All the guys are sitting around laughing, and, and his, the guy that's been assigned to sort of help him, he's not even a, a warrior, he pulls him aside and, 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 and he says, his name is Nabutada, and Nabutada says to Algren, he says, please, please excuse, but too many mind. And Algren responds to him, too many mind? What does that mean, too many mind? And Nabutada says, yes. You mind the sword, you mind the enemy, you mind the people watching, too many mind. You're distracted, this is me, you're distracted. 
You're listening to too many things. There's too many voices. You're trying to think, how am I looking in front of them? How, how am I looking in front of him? How, how is this going? He says, you need to focus on the one thing where your mind needs to go. I think that's the greatest picture Paul has for us in Romans 8 for, as Christians. You've got to be minding the voice that is most important. And our culture, our world is very loud. It's very hard to hear the voice. And it's very easy to feel ourselves condemned. It's very easy to find ourselves feeling less than. And so we've got to fill that up with some other thing in our lives. Or I need comfort. I mean, I deserve a break today. On and on and on. And all the voices that we hear and say to ourselves. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, you're going to have to limit the number of voices. Maybe you need to get off social media for a little while. I don't know. But you need to hear the voice that is most important, not legalistically to get your spiritual brownie points, but just that's how relationships are done. They're time, they're investment, they're listening. Lord, I worship you this morning as the triune God. I worship you, the Father who has authored salvation, made the way for us to be brought into your family, designed the whole thing. I worship you, Christ, because you are the agent of it. You came and, and, and did it for us, that you died for us, died the death we should have died, lived the life we should have lived. You did it all that we could be forgiven and accepted in your own righteous deeds. And Spirit, today, I thank you because you're the applier. You're the one that comes into our lives and does life with us and, and enables us to live life that internally are at rest. They're so different from life without you. Lord, we confess, I confess, how quickly we can be pushed towards the flesh and to lean into that and the, the voices, of earthly voices, Lord, let us listen to you, let us hear you, let us let you love us and let you change us. And we love you for wanting to. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go in peace to love and serve and enjoy the Lord.